Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. In an era of online retail where everything is just a few clicks away, buying a car should be no different. That's why at Carvana, you can buy a car 100% online. We made it easy to browse, view, and buy from over 10,000 cars. You can even trade in your old car, all while binge-watching your favorite TV show. Afterwards, we'll deliver your car to you. Or you can pick it up from one of our car vending machines. Either way, your car comes with a seven-day return policy. So grab a seat, relax in your comfy pants, and enjoy the new way to buy a car at Carvana. Hello, Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but I said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Babu, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. On today's show, our 80s reboots in a little bit of trouble. Then we are going to talk about Martin Scorsese's comments regarding Marvel and Joker. It had a huge opening night at the box office. We're getting into that as well. Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to Movie Talk. I'm your host, Perry Nemroff, and soon I'm going to be joined by Jeff Snyder and Matt Donato. But first, it's call sheet time. First item on the list today, of course, is Joker's Thursday night preview numbers. They were big. The movie made $13.3 million, and of course, that tops the $10 million that Venom made last year. On top of that, the $13.3 million haul also makes Joker the largest Thursday night preview since Lion King hit theaters back in July. More on the box office and also some interesting quotes from Joaquin Phoenix later in today's show. Next up here, it's the Martin Scorsese comments. He had a little something to say about superhero films. Here's what he told Empire Magazine when the MCU came up. I don't see them. I tried, you know, but that's not cinema. Honestly, the closest I can think of them, as well-made as they are, with actors doing the best they can under the circumstances, is theme parks. It isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being. Moving on now to a little something from The Hollywood Reporter. They are saying that studios may lose the rights to a whole bunch of popular 80s franchises, and those titles include Terminator, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Beetlejuice, Die Hard, Predator, Nightmare on Elm Street. We're going to explain why this is happening later in the show. Now, we've got a must-watch trailer for you over on Collider.com. It's the trailer for a brand-new Netflix horror movie. It's called Eli. Here's what it's about. 
about a young boy named Eli who's plagued with an unknown debilitating illness that requires him to live completely sealed off from the outside world. His parents eventually put their trust in the hands of a doctor whose experimental treatments at her clean house facility may hold Eli's last hope. As Eli undergoes the process that could cure him, he begins to be haunted by experiences that make him question who he can trust and what's lurking inside the house. After the show, go on over to Collider.com. Give that trailer a watch. Now, oh boy, a Jeff Snyder exclusive here. I am so excited about this one because it's about Escape Room 2. Isabel Furman, who you might know from Orphan, The Hunger Games, and also Showtime's Masters of Sex is set to join the cast of Escape Room 2, which is also bringing back original stars Taylor Russell and Logan Miller. Escape Room 2 was originally slated to open in April, but now Sony will release the sequel on August 14th, 2020, and I cannot wait. All right, before we move on to our discussions for the day, I don't know how to tee up this video package right now. I'm going to let it speak for itself. Check out this trailer. was crazy. It was a ton of fun to shoot. So if you want to see the full thing, go check it out after the show on the Collider Video YouTube channel. And that's where you can also find out how to win a really cool Heroes and Villains backpack that I might want myself, but I can't take it. And one of you will. So go find out how to win. All right. It is time. Are you guys ready for these panelists right now? Are you ready? Because it's Friday with Matt Donato and Jeff Snyder. Who's Yay! drinking the healthier morning drink right now? That's what I want to know. You don't know what's in here, so that's that's the fair point. It's Actually, just... I don't know what's in Post Fantastic <laughs> Fest, I know what's in it's there. It's water. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is fake orange juice. All right. Also, I don't know how much you have all this energy this early in the morning. Like, I am not used it's to this. It's all in this I'd be waking cup. up for work at this point. Like, <laughs> same. Maybe. Well, <laughs> I feel like uh, post Fantastic Fest, you can make this excuse to be like a little tired, but, you know. It's, it's been Get writing me. and catching up, too, so it's not even post-Fantastic Fest for me. Like, I have been in a hole for the last week. Just because we had Alicia and Haley on the show earlier this week, and they both answered this question for yes. me, just tell me briefly, what was your favorite movie of the entire festival? Tammy and the T-Rex, which is the gore cut of a PG-13 movie that they found and is now R-rated, and it's about Denise Richards falling in love with an animatronic Tyrannosaurus Rex with the brain of Paul Walker. Wow, that's such a Matt Donato movie. I can't handle it. And our first story today is a very Jeff Snyder story, <laughs> I would right say. Good <laughs> so, segue, Perry. Boom. It is bright and early, and I've had a lot of coffee. All right, so this first story that we're going to talk about here is the whole, is are the 80s reboots in trouble? And it's because of some rights issues that the best person on this panel to describe the situation is sitting right next to me. Jeff Snyder, can you break it down for everyone? Basically, I think it was Congress. They passed laws, right? <laughs> they passed this law, this copyright law in the 70s that gave authors uh, the rights to terminate these uh, agreements so that they can get uh, their rights to their books and, and movies and scripts and that, that kind of stuff back. And so you're starting to see creators do that. It started last year with Victor Miller, right, who is the Friday the 13th guy. 
Uh, he wrote the original screenplay. Uh, Sean S. Cunningham was suing him. Victor Miller won. Sean S. Cunningham is still appealing the case, I understand, and that's yep. why we really haven't seen anything with Friday the 13th, but now you're starting to see it from like the Terminator screenwriter, Gail Ann Hurd, who co-wrote the script with James Cameron, the author of the book that Die Hard was based on, the author of the book that Roger Rabbit was based on, the Beetlejuice screenwriter. So it's like, you know, our studio's going to have to renegotiate all these deals with all these rights holders. I think that they will end up having to. They, you know, I don't think you have to worry that, you know, you're, ne- you're never going to see these reboots or, or sequels or anything because these rights are, are really worthless you know, if, if a screenwriter just has them in their back pocket, like you want to sell them to, to someone who can actually finance a movie unless one of these writers is actually in a position to pay for something like that out of pocket. Um, so, you, you know, I think you're going to see the Terminator franchise continue. But could it move from Skydance to Netflix? Mm-hmm. Yeah, possibly. So if you had to make a prediction right now with the wave of these coming in, do you think that studios will maybe give up more money to keep the rights to these? Because we all well know we're in a phase right now where studios are prioritizing reboots. I, I just think that if you're, you know, if, if the rights holder, whoever came up with the original material, if they're happy with how things have gone, then they'll say, all right, let's renew this. And you guys have been the caretaker of this franchise and keep at it. Some people may be upset and they're like, God, I, I got to get it out of your hands. You, you've ruined this for the last 30 years. I'm going to try to find someone who's more on you know, the same creative page as me. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Dark Fate now. So if Dark Fate does really well, then Paramount, I guess, would be inclined to negotiate in order to well, keep Sky these Dance. rights. Skydance, actually, yeah. you know, it was David Ellison yeah, who got the and Paramount's rights because Megan Ellison had them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, people People are unpredictable, though. I think the issue is you look at the Jason Voorhees stuff and the Victor Miller and the Cunningham things, and it's been going on for more than a year. I mean, it's been going on for a while. We haven't had a Friday the 13th movie since the reboot in 2009, or reboot, remake, whatever you want to call it. And it goes beyond the films, too. I understand what you're saying about, uh, you know, the rights don't do anything if they're just sitting there. And I agree, and that's the issue. But, you know, I played the Friday the 13th video game all Mm -hmm. the time when it came out. And all of a sudden, that got dragged into the lawsuit, and now that game is dead, basically. They're not allowed to do any new content, and they're not allowed to do stuff like that. Right. So the issue there for me is I'm not worried. I agree with you. These things are going to be produced other places, these titles and stuff like that. But also, people, again, are unpredictable, and you can get caught in these uh, legal negotiations that go on for years and years. And you know, Jason Voorhees is a huge character, iconic, horror. You want him in everything. You want to license right. that stuff. But yet it's been sitting there... Despite the fact that you have all this potential just because of greed and just because of people want, you know, ego, whatever you want to call it. Absolutely. And that's and that's just the human side of the business, for better or worse in this town. Uh, the, the issue with Friday the 13th is that Cunningham was arguing that that was yeah. a work for hire. That's like, I hired you, Victor Miller, to write me, me this movie, Friday the 13th. It's not the same as Roderick Thorpe, who wrote the book that Die Hard was based on, who, you know, just wrote that book. And then they said, all right, we're going to option this book or acquire the rights. And now we're going to turn it into a Die Hard movie. So what do you think is going to happen in the future now? Because this is the first opportunity that writers have to utilize this 35-year law and actually put it into effect. So is the next wave of this going to be 90s movies? Because we all also well know that 90s reboots are super hot right now. So is this just a story we're going to have to continue covering every year now? I mean, time moves on. That's the whole thing. Time moves on and everything is going to get dragged into this eventually. So yes, 100%. But also it comes down to the fact of do they want to fight this? Do they want to take the legal action? And, you know, like you said before, if there's profitable movies being made about these titles, 
maybe you just sit back, renegotiate, and be like, all right, you keep going here. But it's going to be title to title because if you look at what's in the can right now for the possible legality, you know, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Predator, Die Hard, things of this nature, Beetlejuice. I mean, there's a lot of licensing potential there that people don't want to lose. So I don't think it's going to be the same as Friday the 13th as you already and, said. And so the other, the other element of it, and I'm 35, even though none of you believe me. <laughs> uh, I'm 35, born in 1984. And so, you know, we're talking about 1984 movies like, like the Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. and whatnot. Um, but, okay, so like with Pet Cemetery earlier this year, mm-hmm. that was one that came up. And uh, because the original King book was, you know, more than 35 years ago, Paramount was basically given uh, a termination notice. And you have two years after the termination notice to, to you know do something with these rights and so they hustled the movie into production while they still could for well, better or worse <laughs> i i go for with the, hey i go with the better on, <laughs> yeah, that I'm with side. on that one i do want to backtrack okay. just just okay. briefly because i'm curious if any of you guys know anything about the current status of that friday the 13th movie with lebron james attached is that basically just completely it's, stuck it's caught in position? it's yeah, stuck it's until so there's legal... absolutely no moving forward until this issue until is the red up. tape gets taken away there is nothing going on there and the funny part is really quick um ilphonic that made the friday the 13th video game they're now developing a predator video game and so help me god if that that gets caught in production too. Well, I will be furious. I'm pretty sure you name dropped Predator. No, in your he, piece. Did, he did. Predator is yeah. one of the titles that's up for the uh, renegotiation. So, so help me God, if I don't get this Predator game where you can play as the Predator hunting soldiers or vice wow. versa. I am going to be furious. <laughs> that does sound good. But it's also like, you know, we haven't seen anything on Die Hard. Like, what is going yeah. on with Die Hard? It died hard. I mean, yeah. the franchise did die hard. It's, it's yeah. just. That's why, I mean, I think you got to clear Bruce Willis out of there. But this is an opportunity for maybe to have it move out of Disney Fox. Oh, well, right? I, that wasn't the route I was going to take. But I was going to ask you guys if maybe the silver lining of a legality like this is maybe to kind of forcibly encourage studios to develop more original franchises rather than continue to redip in pre-existing ones. No, that's, that's <laughs> wishful thinking. Yeah, Hollywood does not learn the you right lesson. It, it's, the, the optimism is so good right now on you, Perry. But. The, the, all the, none, none of this stuff is disappearing. It's still there. It's just going to cost maybe more money. And, and, Go to different studios yeah, and, and different studios. studios. Well, this year in particular, I feel like isn't a good year to back that kind of mentality because how many <laughs> franchises have we seen come out and then crash and burn and not come anywhere close to uh, making the profit? Yeah. The exhaustion will hit eventually, I, th- I do think, but I just don't think we're there yet. All right. We're going to follow this one as it develops, and we're also going to move on to a, a very hot topic here. It is... Martin Scorsese's comments regarding the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I'll just start this off to say, I have a feeling the way this was brought up is just casually maybe the MCU was brought up. But I think this is a a more broad criticism of, you know, big budget studio spectacles, specifically big comic book adaptations. So you guys read this quote from Scorsese and what does it make you think? You want me to take this one first? first. I'll go first. I mean... It's Scorsese. I give him all the credit in the world. And I I mean, there is a little bit of validity to what he says, and he's just not saying it the right way. But in the same regard, I don't agree. I mean, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been developing over and over time and making, I I don't want to say better movies, but they're looking at the whole production value of things. And I mean, Black Panther, you look at the score, and it's like they're caring about these technical aspects. You look at um, Wonder Woman going to the DCU has beautiful cinematography. And to say that something isn't cinema makes it sound like a paycheck movie. 
And we've seen paycheck movies. We know what those can turn out to be. And that's not these superhero movies. Mm -hmm. So I do want to, you know, I defend these comic book films that are coming out and paying attention to all the aspects of filmmaking. And also Scorsese uh, says something about not connecting with characters and actors aren't being given things to work with on a deep level. And I completely disagree because I bawled like a baby at the end of Endgame, not even being a huge MCU fan. And I know like you can, you know, make your faces and stuff like that and that's fine. But I had not known it through every MCU movie that I was so attached to these characters and seeing it all come around in Endgame, I was like, wow, okay, they've literally programmed me and like, you know, hooked me into these characters that actually make me care about something. Yeah, I share that feeling. I, th- I think I agree with uh, Scorsese's comments insofar that I would describe them as as theme parks, as rides. I have in many of my reviews, but I mean that as a compliment, as a good thing. And I typically apply that kind of descriptor to a movie when, you know, something truly has me on the edge of my seat, takes my breath away. I just described Ford v. Ferrari like that, too. So I actually think that's a compliment here, and I would describe Marvel movies as theme parks in a sense. But when it comes to that last line about it isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being, uh, that I'm like, has he only watched Thor the Dark World? Like, what? (laughs) Well, also, you know, I think about one of my favorite Marvel Cinematic uh, Universe movies, and it's Guardians of the Galaxy and the transformation that the characters go through in that. Like, yes, it is an out of this world kind of experience, something that we can't relate to in every single respect, but it's about a group of misfits who need to find a family and do. And I think everybody can relate to that on a very human ground and level in a certain respect. I mean, that one shot of basically Drax and Rock. Rocket and you know Drax kind of puts his hand on Rocket's head and it's like that hits me so hard and yes it's an alien and a raccoon that shoots weapons having an, like an intimate moment but again I can connect with that because that's the storytelling they've developed all right Jeff go ahead Jeff T- now take us down I see that smirk <laughs> um first of all I didn't mean to 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 poop on your end game reaction because I've cried at the end of comic book movies it's totally legitimate I don't know that I was bawling at like a baby that wasn't this wasn't Manchester by the sea here but uh but I get it you were connected to to Robert Downey Jr. and these characters for 22 movies I have come down somewhere in the middle I think what Scorsese is trying to say here is that these movies some of them at least some of them are art and some of them are just corporate products some of them are paycheck movies I do yeah. think um, Scorsese though I think that his views are honestly more complicated than they're coming across in this interview I know his name isn't on the Joker but his literal producing partner Emma Tillinger Koskoff is so it's like do you think that he goes into the office and Emma's been working on this movie for the last two years and he's like yeah that's not cinema Emma like I don't think that he views it like that um, again, this is like his right-hand person. Uh, so it, it's almost as... Like, I was actually surprised at the end of the credits when Scorsese's name wasn't there because I thought he was going to take an EP credit. I guess he was just too busy with Irishman. Um, but, you know, basically, Emma runs his company. His company basically made it. Um, so I, I, I think that this kind of reduces the argument and it is a little elitist even coming from me. Uh, but you're so self-aware. I like but, that. About you. Oh, I'm very, very aware, very aware of what the audience thinks of me, but yeah, I mean, he's also earned the right to talk. Like some, some of these aren't cinema. Some of them are, some of them really do advance the art form and mm-hmm. even something like Aquaman, which I thought was horrible. That's like a whole movie set underwater. Yeah. And I, you have to give it credit for that. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. When I look at this too, and considering the fact that you're on the table today, Jeff, I think a lot about a Collider FYC and how a comment like this might, you know, make waves throughout the academy. Many others might hold this no, idea nobody, in nobody mind. Nobody cares, I don't think. And no, nobody cares. Because, you know, they're talking to their peers at these cocktail parties and receptions. If they really were like, Marty, do you really think that? Like, then they'd have a chance to converse and elaborate on Not it. Not even necessarily, though, that his specific comments could change somebody else's mind. But is this further proof that that mentality still exists and could maybe shut the door a little more so than we once thought to Avengers Endgame yes. at the Academy Awards this Absolutely, year? Absolutely, yes. All right. And also, this is an internet headline. Let's remember. Yes. I mean, this, this is an interview put out there to get clicks and to get attention. And you lose a lot of nuance in that, where I'm sure there was a much larger conversation he had that might have given more information and background mm -hmm. and things of that nature. I long for that conversation. Yeah, I, re 100%. I really wish I could hear him just elaborate on this and the state of cinema. I like, mean, especially because he's making this comment after giving Netflix a three and a half hour movie with yeah. some de-aging technology, a significant amount of uh, makeup effects. So The man you know, knows movies. I mean, I mean we don't know what he tried. He said, I don't see them. I tried, you know. Well, what did he try seeing? Where did he start? Did he start with the... Did he hear Iron Man was great, so he went to go see Iron Man 2 and then 3 and was like, forget this. You know? I don't know. There's a lot of nuance missing. Yeah, I, I don't think yeah. he like went to see Black Panther and he was like, I, I tried to watch it, but yeah. I walked out. I don't think he hates Marvel movies specifically. I don't think he's calling them out specifically, but... He did make that comment, and now we have to take it for what it is. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're right. We're worth discussing, not worth, you know, like etching in stone or anything. But hopefully Agreed. one day someone follows up on these comments just because I'm curious. I would like to know more about them. He, he, he could always change his mind. People are allowed to, to, to People you know, change their, their minds all the time. Opinions evolve. You could, you could change your mind on a movie you see today and then change your mind on it in a week from now. It, it happens a lot true. of festivals, honestly. And, honest and God. there's nothing yeah. wrong with that whatsoever. All right. Before we move on over to our third topic of the day, I got to Remind you that we're taking your live chat questions at the end of the show. So get creative, have some fun. It's Friday and start sending them in right now. And oh, we've got some stuff to tease on the Collider Video YouTube channel. Here's some promos for you. Hey everyone, John Roca here, the host of Collider Mailbag. A new episode drops every Saturday and Sunday in your face and in your ears, answering the questions from you fans about the world of entertainment, film, and television. Me and great guests from our sphere do the best to answer your questions from Twitter, from Instagram, and of course, email as well, every Saturday and Sunday. What's up, Collider fans? Ryan Satin here from ProWrestlingSheet.com, where you can find the top stories throughout the week in the world of professional wrestling. If you're a wrestling fan like myself, then you'd be doing yourself a disservice by not checking out all the shows we do every week on YouTube.com slash C slash Wrestling Sheet. In particular, on Wednesdays, we've got a SmackDown recap show hosted by John Roca and myself, where we pick apart and, and talk about every little thing that happened on the blue brand. So do yourself a favor and go subscribe at youtube.com slash C slash wrestling sheet. We got a little something else to tell you about right now. We're actually doing a ranking video and we're ranking the top live action Star Wars movies leading up to the release of Star Wars nine. <laughs> These two over here. We're but the thing is, anything. we're not we're not ranking them ourselves here at Collider. We're giving you that duty. So go on over to Collider.com after the show. And that's where you can rank your favorite Star Wars films. Then we're going to compile that list and we're going to make a video series where the Collider team reacts to your choices. So submit your rankings right after the show today. All right. 
You ready for panel number three? You guys know I have to read these quotes, and the quotes are very long. Otherwise, it, no one's going to understand the entirety of this story. Can you so wake we're going to talk up when a you're little done? bit. I, I, I just wanted to say I was mad at first about not being asked to contribute to this ranking, and then when you said Star Wars, I was like, okay, never yeah. mind. I had a feeling that would be your thought with that. So we're going to talk right now about the box office for Joker, and also some comments that Joaquin Phoenix made that are just interesting about the process of finding the character and how they actually made it happen. I am going to read all those quotes, but before I get to those, let's talk a little bit about this Thursday night number. So does this basically solidify in your mind that Joker is bound to smash Venom's record and maybe go well beyond it for October? I think it's a safe bet. I think it's a pretty safe bet because we're talking about a Batman movie and we're talking about a comic book movie. And we can say that Todd Phillips made something that's more art house than maybe usual comic book films or whatever you want to call it that some people are saying. But it's still going right back to that being a Joker movie. And, yeah, it's going to do very okay. <laughs> How high are you going with this, Jeff? I mean, I think the last time I was on, I think I said 89 in, in honor of the original Batman oh, yeah, movie. Um, and I think I'll stick to that prediction. It doesn't seem like it's going to hit 100, maybe. Um, but uh, but whatever, the, whatever the prediction is, 80 right now, I will take the over. I actually went for the ceiling. I said 105. I just, wow. I, I okay. don't know. I think the conversation, whether you love this movie or you don't like this movie, is at such an intense level that it is creating an insane amount of curiosity. And it's going to make this a high, high priority to see weekend one. So I'm, I just think it's. I'm not calling you crazy. Right I, I yeah. you know, you're, you could totally be there, right. There's a chance that I could be right. I also think that 89 is a very respectable number right now, too. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this, though. Because of uh, the media has whipped up this frenzy. And something could happen this weekend in theaters, according to the media. Do you think that people will stay away opening that's, weekend and that, wait for things to die down? That's not how I read it. I mean, I am definitely one of those people that walked out of the movie and, and was, you know, I'm, I'm going to express concern because I felt it walking away from it. It's not to say that I didn't like the movie. I gave it a positive review. But I, I walked out scared and uncomfortable. And maybe that's what the intentions were. And then just hearing some of the discourse, hearing that some threats were made. Yeah, of course it makes me nervous because I care about the safety of my friends, my family, and everybody in this country for that matter. So it is on my mind, but where I think that reports like that will lead is to more curiosity. curiosity People wanting to know why this sparked that big of a reaction. And I actually think it's only going to bring its box office number even higher. Because the security is all there. Everyone's reacting appropriately in the theaters. You know, you see at the press screenings too, there is security out the wazoo. So there is the right level of attention being paid to those threats and also those first reviews coming out all the festivals, you know, 100% Rotten Tomatoes, calling it masterpiece and stuff like that. I think there's too much hype going into it that people cannot ignore. I just think that the media loves to sort of stoke fear around these kinds of movies. You just described the media. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, but like when we see security, like I went to the most secure screening in the world, the, the, the premiere. Yeah. And I'm sure that there's a ton of security at the mm-hmm. press screenings because, you know, you got the press there and I'm sure there's going to be a ton of security in LA and New York. The problem is, is there's security at theaters like Aurora, Colorado. And, and I don't know that there will be, but it's, I'm not saying that I think that something is going to happen because I think that some of these reports kind of are, are overblown. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's the nature of, of a headline culture because, you know, just even thinking of my own my own tweet, I mean, that is simply how I felt walking out of the movie. That did not translate to, oh, someone's going to do something because of this movie. But it's very easy to take certain wording and fashion it into that kind of headline. And I do think we saw a lot of it. But, you know, if we're in a situation where being safe versus sorry is better off, I'm kind of glad that those headlines exist. You, you always have to play. Extra, of course, that's why we there. do go through what we go through at airports. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on to the second section of our Joker story right now. All right, guys, I'm just going to jump in. I'm going to read these huge quotes because they're very interesting. It's going to yeah, Matt, sit back. I'm, I'm All right, ready. here we go. So these are the comments that Joaquin Phoenix shared with the fine folks at the Real Blend F- podcast, who I am a very big fan of. All right. The freedom that we had from Warner Brothers to kind of shoot it and discover it was really key, more so than you might imagine, because there were some really radical changes to the character several weeks into shooting. We just started going down a particular road with Arthur with approaching the character and his behavior, and it was based on a reference that I had found. This kid that is undergoing psychiatric evaluation, and it was really interesting in a particular way of behaving, which I thought was applicable, and it might have been at times. Then what happened? happened is the sixth week of shooting was the first time that I played Joker. I was really angry about that because I thought that it should wait until the end and I didn't want to kind of shoot it in the middle, but for several reasons we had to. We shot those sequences, I think for four days, and we finished, and on the last day, the week we shot the bathroom scene with Thomas Wayne, that was a weird transition and it was a struggle. And after that, after playing Joker, I just suddenly realized Todd and I got together and we talked about everything we shot and I just said I think that we've been missing something and I feel like we're going down a road that seems wrong in both the look the hair is wrong the way I'm wearing the wardrobe is wrong and a lot of the behavior so we kind of in that moment and over the weekend kind of reconceived the character and kind of realized the mistakes we had made so you guys hear that this was the process that uh that it required to bring Joker to screen the way that we saw him in the final cut of the movie does it surprise you? Is this kind of uh, process with changing the character mid-shoot unusual? So the question is at the end of that when it says we had to reconceive the character, did that mean they went back and reshot everything? Or did they, did they move forward with what they had? That's my curious part. Based on the way he expresses it in this, my understanding is that in order to capture what he thought was the best interpretation of the Joker for this story, that they would have had to have redone some of the material. He doesn't specifically say, oh, we went back and reshot all this. Right. Because that's my part is, you know, we're all writers up here, too. We're doing the video content, but, you know, we write film reviews. We write features and op-eds. And when I write something, sometimes the thesis I end with is not the thesis I started with. So I get that. I get three-fourths of the way through an article and all of a sudden realize, wait, I have a way better message and a way better way to deliver that. But I can rewrite an entire article. This is words. You cannot edit together and edit around a person playing two different characters. (laughs) Well, we all – I mean, I don't really even know what the – huge drastic difference might have been like it might be a situation where only certain beats needed to be tweaked although he does reference you know the way he was wearing the costume and the look and everything he references the entire character (laughs) yeah i mean it could it could have been significant for all i know what do you make of it jeff it's a gobbledygook quote uh i don't know what it means there's no way that they went back and reshot six weeks worth of material especially to keep the budget down the way that they did um, so that just didn't happen. Uh, I, you know, the, the the quote that we didn't read was, it was a really crazy time because I became so grateful and thankful we shot the Joker scenes, which of which, you know, there's a limited number, I would say, right? 
he's mostly he's mostly Arthur. Uh, became so grateful and thankful we shot the Joker scenes when we did because exploring that side of the character real, really allowed me to see this other side. So maybe, I don't know whether he shot the Joker stuff at the beginning or if he shot it at the end and, and shooting it at the end, you know, like shooting the, the Arthur stuff informed how he actually played the Joker thing. Like, I don't know if he had a different take on it before shooting other scenes. Like, it's, I, I don't know what to make of it. It's, it's hard to understand, it's just a, like I am right now. It's, uh, hard, it's hard to understand <laughs> in that we don't specifically know how it affected the production of the movie and right. potential reshoots, but the one thing that I do really take from something like this is further respect for Joaquin Phoenix and how much he values his craft and what he pours into a character. This isn't a guy that's just getting up there ever to read lines. He wants to fully engross himself in a character and if he is in a situation where, let's say, Arthur, playing Arthur at the beginning, shooting the Joker material in, in the middle, and by playing Joker in the middle, he felt that he needs to go back and reconstruct the character with a new core concept in mind. I don't know. I just got a lot of respect for that. And if Warner Brothers did go along with that and let them change those those beats, I applaud Warner Brothers for it because it served oh, the movie but, uh, better overall. But I overall. thought comic book movies aren't real movies. <laughs> this, this is... <laughs> This it is all a back real around. movie, and so are all other comic book movies. Because no matter what type of movie is out there, it's got at least one fan, and I like. No, and I that. agree with you, and that's the thing. Like you, like you just said, the care that Walking Phoenix is putting mm-hmm. into this character, it just gives you that much more of a like. You know, comic book movies are quote unquote real. Like just to go back to the Scorsese quote, you know, it's way more than just the paycheck. He is in Arthur, and he's in Arthur's head, and he's always developing. And like he could have coasted through it, sure, but the fact that he gets that deep into a role and goes, nah. We got to we got to retool this like that is just care to craft. I, I, I mean, his performance feels of a piece with itself. It doesn't feel like schizophrenic, like his character. Yeah. Um, it's not like I see a huge difference between, you know, one half versus the other mm-hmm. in the movie. So, again, that's why I don't understand the quote, because there's, I'm telling you, there's no way that they went back and, and reconceived a character and, and Warner Brothers reshot it. And we were just finding out about it now. Just take it as a tidbit of interesting information. Yeah. Yeah. Based on what you just said, I kind of want to see Martin Scorsese direct a, a superhero movie now. I hope we get there. I mean, by just, the way, just for the he, sake he totally of Netflix. On, just for the sake of, of taking on the challenge and, I don't know, seeing Dude. what he discovers about himself the, as a filmmaker through it. The playlist headline is on this is Martin Scorsese removes himself from Kevin Feige's Rolodex by saying Marvel films are theme parks and not cinema. That's oh, BS. Let me tell you that is such BS. BS. Kevin Feige would hire Martin Scorsese <laughs> in two seconds. He does not care. What, if he what said that said. out loud, I want to direct an MCU movie like that. He would have his pick of the litter. Before I could even, you could even hear the sound. I would really love if all of this led to just that. Led to him directing. Because of our conversation. If yeah. Martin Scorsese watched yeah, this. Yeah, really. <laughs> I, I have just convinced Martin Scorsese that that should be his next challenge. If he'd want to, he'd, he'd, I, I don't think he'd do like a... Um, I think he'd want to do an original superhero. I could see him doing a superhero movie, but not one of these Marvel or DC characters. One of the off-color ones. Off, yeah. I, that's probably the more realistic route. Right, but based on my challenge concept, I want him to just, I want him to have to direct like the quintessential Marvel movie and just <laughs> see what Martin Scorsese's <laughs> magic comes out of it that he doesn't know he's capable I of. I thought about this the entire drive over. And, and I've always wanted to see, not a movie about a superhero, not a movie about a supervillain, but about the supervillain's henchman. And it just opens with all my life. I always wanted to be a henchman. I am... <laughs> I'm 
I'm glad you spent that much totally time to think about it. <laughs> that idea. I think that's a really interesting approach to something like this that we have. I mean, have we ever seen anything like that before? I know I'm, someone with a great henchman script, by the way. All right. All right. Well, I'm behind that script, even though I haven't read it. We'll see if that ever happens. All right. <laughs> Live chat questions. Let's see what we got in the queue. How about... Let's find one about the Netflix situation, which I was eager to talk about. I thought there was one here. All right. I can't find it anymore, so I'm just going to ask you guys, what's oh. up with uh, Disney not having Netflix ads? Uh, smart business choices. I mean, this is the start of the wars that we have seen coming. I mean, this is Disney saying, no, Netflix, we're not going to promote your material on our channels because we're going to start promoting our own materials. And we want people to dump Netflix for our service. I mean, this is what the last time we talked about uh, when I was here and we were talking about all the Netflix and streaming wars. This is already happening. We're already now there. We're already to the point where it's going to start affecting our daily lives. And yeah, we're seeing it full force. But it's not going to affect my daily life because I'm a cord cutter. Nobody is watching TV. <laughs> nobody is watching these ads that nobody wants to buy anymore. Um, listen, it makes sense that, that uh, ABC slash Disney would stop running Netflix ads. Uh, I don't even know how many ads they were running before. It sounded sound actually like a significant uh, um, amount. Um, they're still going to run them on ESPN because Netflix doesn't have live sports, so they don't compete there. Uh, but it, it sounds like a, just a messy universe where this network will only accept ads from from these people, and we're not going to, you know, these people are banned, and this is why. I don't, it, it's just, well, and as Disney buys more and more and starts snatching up more and more companies, it right. becomes even messier because then we get into monopoly territory. I mean, well, yeah, I like I was about to describe it as as even neater because it just like oh, boxes everything into the that's Disney not neat, world. Perry. That's no, bad. It's, it's that's not, a bad no, it's thing. Bad. Neat, neat in my life is usually a good thing, but not in that case. Yeah, no, not that. Uh, just to give you guys a little context, the headline right now on the Wall Street Journal for the story is Disney bans Netflix ads as streaming's marketing wars intensify. And then the uh, little subtitle here was entertainment giants are set to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to promote new streaming services. It's weird to think that we are right around the corner from like the launch of Disney Plus is basically yeah. a month away. And I think everything is going to change when it arrives. All right. Let's jump down to... Jay Scott for real. What non-blockbuster film would make for the best theme park ride or roller coaster? Are you guys, you're you're a roller coaster Ooh. fan, Matt? Yeah, we've, yeah. we've gone uh, on them together. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Where? Oh my God, Six Flags. Yeah. I still have photos from that. Those I, are delightful. On your desk, I was very yeah. touched by that. Yeah. So um, what is it? What would you uh, choose? Oh my God. Predator. Um, wow. We, what are we talking about? Non uh, non franchise movie that could make a good movie. roller coaster. Gremlins. Sorry, I'm just naming all your answers. I was I was just going to get to Gremlins, <laughs> so I hate you for taking that because yes, Gremlins would be my number one. I want to go through a little roller coaster where the Gremlins are like ripping up the coaster and stuff like that, and they're like the electricity and things. I almost feel like Gremlins would be better as you know, like the haunted house where you used to like just oh, sit yeah. in the car and go around the track, like that kind of thing. That's fair. Cool. Um, run, Lola, run. Oh yeah, the roller coaster. Okay. Just like this blaring German techno, <laughs> and it's just the roller roller fastest coaster. roller coaster, and you and you have to wear a red a red wig when you when you ride it. That would be an interesting one. <laughs> red wig when you ride it. That's a lot of R's and W's. <laughs> and then everybody who rides the roller coaster gets lice. <laughs> I don't know why that was the first thing that came. Really? That's the I turn know, I didn't like, see coming you, there. Don't you ever think about that when you buy a new hat or something? When you like buy how a many new hat, put that no. hat on. 
All right, I'm not going to go down that. I'm gonna I've been with you buying hats too, and it's taken forever. So it I does. understand this now. This no makes hat sense. Ever fits me. Yeah, it was like 20 minutes in New Orleans, yeah. just standing there. Like, can we go drink? No, I had to get the right hat. Now, I don't even know what the style of hat is called, but whichever hat has less fabric over here, so it doesn't push my ears out. I want more oh, of those yeah. hats. Someone I tell, tuck mine in. Tell me what it's called. <laughs> um, I would pick Blade Runner. Because I was just thinking, Ooh. like, when you, I think you just described, like, certain visual aspects with uh, Run, Lola, Run, and it makes me think about uh, the Aerosmith roller coaster and how much I love that, that ride at uh, Disney World. Right, yeah. And I, I kind of just want something like that with, like, a visual style that pops. And I feel like I went Blade on Runner the hardcore well. Henry roller coaster. Like yeah, no, that's yeah, a good no, choice. That, yeah, I know. It took hardcore me a minute. I got there. I got there. Hardcore Henry does not get enough love. Hardcore and, Henry yeah, is the good. best video game movie that's not based on. Where is Ilya with another movie? He's How doing it? nobody. That's going to be a big movie yeah. next year. I'm telling wait, you. Wait, wait, wait. What is this called? The Bob Odenkirk action like I, thriller. Yeah. I feel like I vaguely remember this now. I'm telling you, but but uh, gonna cool he's going to be good. Yeah, anything, he's okay. Anything he makes, training right now. I'm signing up for. Really? Okay. What is it? What is it about? Can you update it's us? It's just like on a, a like an average guy who who ends up having to like. Go vigilante. An average guy is, who is Bob Odenkirk. Right. <laughs> Which it makes it way better. in a similar style think, to uh, Hardcore Henry? I don't know about that, but I think it's going Not to be very person. kinetic. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be kinetic. But, I mean, you watch his music video work, and, I mean, this is what he does. He just does high-energy action. So, I'm... It's like yeah, no matter, Blonde with Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> I'm okay that's with, what I'm, that's what I'm I love picturing. how you didn't go with John Wick with Bob Odenkirk. You went with Atomic Blonde. <laughs> You know you, what, Donato? It's you, early in the morning. You confuse me, man. All do, right. you want, do you want some vodka? <laughs> Let's take this one from saying, given the conversation that we had a little earlier, what comic property would you want Scorsese to make if he were to make one? So pick one, you know, one comic book storyline, character, villain, anything you want. Pick yourself a henchman if you'd like. Uh, I actually think Scorsese's take on the Penguin would be really good. Like... Scorsese's a New York filmmaker. The Penguin's like this kind of Gotham, mm-hmm. huge, this huge figure. Uh, po- you know, he's like a political figure. Yeah, I think it would be awesome. So given what you said before, do you think there is ever a possibility that he would do that, especially with like this somewhat being affiliated no. with the Joker? No. Okay. <laughs> Martin Scorsese has better things yeah. to do with his time. There's, you know, a zillion people who can direct these movies, uh, you know, which is clearly how Marvel feels about it as well, so... I'd want to see something like Steve Rogersy, like early era where he's still in the military and he's still with his entire, uh, like he's with the army basically. He's not fully Captain America and you let Scorsese play around with uh, his backstory and you let him play around with all these other side characters. I don't want to see him take like a singular character and stay with him. I want to get the entire world and I think he'll he'd play well in like a World War era kind of thing. That Yeah, I mean what you just bring up automatically makes me try to think of a uh, of a character, you know. Like a, like a 70s character. Right. Like yeah, that's tap, exactly tap where I went. mob movie mentality. Well, and, and, and in all honesty, like, I will admit I wasn't the biggest fan of the origin for Captain America that we got. So I would love to just see Scorsese take his take on that type of exact movie. I'd be totally happy with that. All right. I'm going to give you guys a big one. I'm sorry. Here, let's do it. CS Edits is asking, which are your top three directors working today? They don't have to be like all time. Like, I'm oh, even just man. curious, you know, when you when you read an article about a director signing on to the, a project right now, who do you have your fingers crossed that it will be? I have the weirdest three. Um, I like weird. I'm, I'm thinking about directors that I've only rated positively so far, like in my critical career. And that would be Joseph Kahn, who has directed Bodied, uh, Detention, and Torque. 
shut up. I have fun with his movies. Um, I don't think he's like the greatest, but I so I guess yeah, I'm I going, I'm going body. in a different route here. I'm not going with greatest, but I'm going with directors that just connect with me, I guess. But, uh, Joseph Kahn, Benson and Moorhead, everything yes. I've seen by them are just, it's next level. I connect with their existential kind of filmmaking on every type of platitude. Thumbs up for Synchronic. Oh, Synchronic's so good. Their most Ooh. marketable film. But I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean mm-hmm. that in a really good way where yeah. they've distilled their dread into something that you can put out to the mass public. And my third would probably oh, – I'm trying to think of like a more basic kind of pick on that. Um, I don't know off the top of my head. I'd have to look really quickly. Go. Uh, I will go with Fincher, Tarantino, and in a twist, Wes Anderson. Okay, okay. I, I like how you went with, you know, like like classic individuals with like real long bodies of work that all uh that all speak very highly of them. I think right now I'm going to say I'm definitely going to put Taika Waititi on the list because going with your mentality, he's someone who just I, he delivers time and time again and yeah. I think when you look at the types of movies he's made, he's got endless range. I'm also going to say hmm this is very, now I'm very conflicted by the parameter you just put on your list where I'm trying to think of someone who hasn't had a miss. Because trust me, I know there's technically way better filmmakers than Joseph Kahn, and I'm aware of that. But like, for some reason, I just connect with his work over and over again. Yeah. I, for a while, the top of my list used to be Jeremy Saulnier, who I still really like. And I think Hold the Dark is okay, but Hold the Dark was like... Hold the dip. Dark did that for it me. It was a dip yeah, for yeah, me. It, it so me he has since been... Uh, I don't know, putting my honorable mentions. But maybe. I mean, to be fair, like, again, I'll watch anything Tarantino does, and that's another good point where it's like, yeah, I, how am I going to turn off a Tarantino film? Flanagan. Attach Flanagan's name to anything, and I'll have more faith in it. Flanagan now. Early Flanagan for me didn't work as well. I'll like be Oculus? Pre Oculus and, and Oculus okay. era. Once he hit, honestly, once he hit Hell House, then I knew he could do the emotional range as well, and that's when I was like, great, get this guy on everything. I got real high hopes for Dr. Sleep. Oh, 100%. Please. I'm all please. in on it. Yep, yep. Please make this year go, I, what would it be? Pet Cemetery. I know not everyone agrees on that one. It Chapter 2, also one not everyone agrees about. In the Tall Grass. Oh, In the Tall Grass. If you want today. a review of that, it's, it's on the uh, Collider Video YouTube Ooh. channel right now. Check it out. And then Dr. Sleep. If all of those turn out to be good movies, I'll be very happy. For, uh, year for King. Ying for King. Plus the stands. <laughs> it's off. early. Why is it so early? <laughs> stands getting off the ground. Yeah. yeah. yeah the have, you, uh, have you started reading his new one? No. The Institute? No, yeah. It's very good. I'm like halfway through. I like it quite a bit. All right. There's no way to end a Friday movie talk other than a bread question. Ugh. Jeff, have you answered a bread question? You have answered I don't one. know if I have. Oh, no. All right. Wait. I might have to do two bread questions then. <laughs> All right. I do like bread. <laughs> Carbs are good, man. Here, here's a, here's one appropriate for this particular weekend. Dart Love 5 is asking, what type of bread would the Joker character be? B. I feel, I feel like... This isn't meant in I've a negative it. way, but I feel like the Joker is moldy bread just because of how he's kind of, you know, it's like turning bread. turning dark on the inside throughout the movie, like darker and darker. So I, I that, like, that's like the mold spreading. I like a plump loaf of sourdough because he's already sour in the middle and it's got like the circular shape of the penguin. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, it's, how am I supposed to answer this question? <laughs> like, what kind of bread Cin- is he? There's cinnamon no raisin. wrong answer. Cinnamon raisin? Okay. Yeah. Just right, explain yourself. Raisin. Wait, hold on. Uh, don't I, let him off that easy. All right. <laughs> I think of the raisins as like a purple colored fruit. I think of the Joker as a purple colored character. Cop I don't out. know. Cop out. Yeah. A, a random thought from Dorian. 
I like the bread movie title. Oh, he likes the bread movie title. This is a lot of fun. The bread movie title game. And oh, he, yeah. he just dropped in Bready Player One. <laughs> so wait, that's going to be my next question. Put bread in a movie title. Dorian's uh, Halloween Twitter nickname, I think, is A Nightmare on Bread Street. I was going to say, it, it should be Night of the Living Bread. I already dropped in yeah, on this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, did you? I you were it. on Twitter, oh, yeah, were yeah, you? Yeah, no. Okay, okay. Wheat men can't jump. <laughs> nice. Yep, huh. that works. Yeah, that's yeah. That's clever because people keep putting the word bread in it, but you went for wheat. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, do I have to bread it up? You could. I mean, yeah. The Breading it up is very the important. quick in the bread. Bready's dead. Yeah, that's there a you go. good one. A bready one is good. I like that. Um, what kind of uh, bread are you, Jeff? What 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 did you say? Did we answer? I don't. You never asked me you? what kind of bread. All right. I was. Well, look, I'm an I'm an everything bagel. You are. What an are you? Bagel. I mean, I should say challah bread, but I'm going to say <laughs> the pretzel bread from Cut Steakhouse, which is the best bread ever. It's a respectable choice right there. I feel you're like not I'm like, getting off. I was going to say, like, I, I guess I'm like a ciabatta roll. No, you're pizza crust. <laughs> I love how you just looked at me like, no, 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 you are pizza crust. I like, this is a thing. And that's a I good think, point. I think it's because I've seen you eat so much middle of the night pizza that it's like, I just immediately associate. <laughs> I'm blowing me up on live talk. <laughs> Some people are hanging out late at night. Some people are. <laughs> Literally well, just. Sure you should come with us to the Overlook Film Festival and you'll get some middle of the night Listen, pizza. just because I get my hunger late at night after a few drinks doesn't, <laughs> doesn't mean everyone has to know about my. That's <laughs> when I get my hunger as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, guys, we're out of here. I hope you have a bread-filled weekend and a joker-filled weekend, if that's how you choose to spend it. Maybe in the tall grass also. Whatever you want. Guys, thank you so much for spending your Friday morning with me. Hope you guys have a good one. Huge thanks to Adam in the booth, as always. Dorian in the live chat as well. That is it for Movie Talk this week, but we're going to be back Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific with a brand-new episode. And guess what you have to look forward to this weekend on the Collider Video YouTube channel? It's Mailbag. Enjoy it. We'll see you Monday. Snyder Cut coming later. <laughs> if a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just 2 bucks on the one 2 3 menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.